people talking, hunters everywhere. Doesn't get any better. I only thing I was wondering is like, is this headset gonna mess my hair up? Pretty much a one species wonder. So all I know is samba deer, but the more the more I think I know, the more I realise I need to learn more. There's a there's a movement in the blackberry bushes and the cloak of invisibility gets switched off and Rogers appears. With the crazy world we live in today, many of us seek adventure of the unknown. Join the five of us everyday Aussies from all walks of life, share stories from men and women of all hunting camps. From tips and techniques to the emotional rollercoaster ride fulfilling a lifelong dream, there is a story to be told by all. Welcome to Hunting Camp Down Under. Well, good everyone. Welcome to the Hunting Camp Down Under podcast. I'm Craig Hales. Yes, it has been ages since I've been behind the mic and uh, I'm rusty, but... I've got excuses. Actually, no, I don't. I've uh, just been a lazy bugger and uh, letting all the other boys do the work. So there you have it. No, look, a few a few months break has done me good, keener than ever. And we're going to rip straight back into them and uh, give everyone something to listen to as the uh, hunting seasons, I guess, come to uh, a bit of a slowdown. Um, but I'm sure there'll be plenty of boys getting out and women getting out over the, uh, the warmer months of the year. Uh, pretty unbelievable last few months uh obviously anyone that follows me on instagram uh, would have seen that uh, myself and josh rogers uh we hit up nevada and um spent 18 days uh mucking around in uh mule deer country uh super fun ate another tag but hey who cares we uh we had a blast and uh yeah josh rogers is a mad bugger and uh plenty of skits and uh plenty of laughs so we'll bring that podcast to you very very shortly and on the podcast front, I'm super excited to announce that we are going weekly. Yes, you are going to have to put up with our rough voices every week, so keep downloading. It really does help us. And uh, no, nah, look, it's the, the only way to go. It's It's been a goal of mine really since I started the podcast, uh, now going back a few years ago, um, to get more content out. And we will certainly shake up, um, I guess, all the different topics. We will tackle some of the harder ones. We will go back to the tactics. Yes, for you bow hunting guys, I will be back on the bow hunting bandwagon soon. Stop your complaining. Uh, go one way and I'm in trouble. I've got to go back the other way. But uh, no, nah, look, we'll keep it varied. Hopefully there's something in it for everybody. And um, at the end of the day, I love all forms of hunting and there's a story to be shared in amongst it all. So that is what we're doing now. Um, and today's episode is no different. Kai Ferno has jumped into the bow hunting game and, you know, loves the traditional archery. Uh, she's no stranger to the to TV screen and, um, you know, where, where a lot of people would know her from. But uh, I'll let the let this episode tell that story. Uh, so Al Kidner sat down with Kai back in the – or just after um, a red deer hunt back in the middle of the year and uh, super cool conversation there. On the uh, – Episodes to come, we, uh, we've got a big New Zealand download coming. Uh, we're going to have a, quite a few episodes in a row on New Zealand um, from the guys that uh, are new to the game. Uh, when I say new to the game, not new to the hunting game, but uh, certainly new to the, uh, the experience of what New Zealand can throw at you. And then we've got the boys that uh, probably go through a little bit more of the experience with the gear and things like that. So it's a really good mix and uh, I think anybody that's playing in New Zealand We'll, uh, we'll get something out of that. So it's going to be a cool couple of weeks 
And then uh, we'll hit back into the uh, Target Pacific stuff as next year gets cranky again. So, And plenty of others in between. So anyway, guys, enough of my chit-chat. Let's jump straight into this episode with Alan Kidner and Kai Furno. So I'll start recording. Don't mm-hmm. stress. We'll just chat like we have been for the last however long. Six days. It's been <laughs> Six good, hasn't forever. it? Really. <laughs> sitting back here in Al's garage workshop. Yeah. All the cool kids hanging out in there. So much to look at. There is, isn't it? It's my little man land. I like it. I love it. It's a little messy, so. That's the best, though, because then you can see everything. Yeah, I know where everything is. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I'm going to get a sign put up at the front. Um, you know, no kids, wives. Um, and if you do come in, you must bring like a sandwich. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not a, I thought I was okay there yeah, for yeah. a while, but now I have to bring a sandwich. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You've seen yeah. me cook. Yeah, I have seen you cook. Yeah. As long as it's all meat, you're fine. Yeah. yeah. A little bit bad. <laughs> yeah. I've actually heard that story. Yeah. Um, so I have Kai Furneau. I did pronounce it right. You did. I did. I'm not. That's the French coming out of me. All right. You Is wanted it? to really Furneau. <laughs> I'd like a de croissant. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't had enough coffee this morning. That would be probably it with my French accent. Yeah. Um, so we've had some great chats the last couple of days. Mm-hmm. So to give the listeners a bit of background, Kai's travelling around. Um, we've spoken on social media, phone calls, got on like a house on fire, haven't we really? Mm-hmm. Uh, had a number of like heavy in-depth conversations on subjects which... Probably should have been caught for podcast listeners, but we just were going somewhere or having a wine over dinner or... Or it's like a five-minute phone call that turns turn into, into a two-hour yeah, phone call. how was that? Um, yeah. yeah, so that's... We've had some great conversations about some great subjects, you know, whether they be hunting, conservation, social media, Hollywood, you know, your background. Life. But on life, exactly, and and good people and bad people and good traits and bad traits. But I'm going to kick it off along the lines of, now I'm going to put a caveat in here for the listeners. If I cough, it's because I've got the man flu. So <laughs> I've got water to back up. And yeah, I'm, the whole family's getting over it. Hopefully Kai doesn't catch any of this bad flu because you're training for something big, but we can't talk about that. <laughs> Keep that on the down low. It's all secret squirrel stuff. Um, but I'm going to kick off the podcast by, because we haven't spoken about this at all. I've heard you talk about it, but you broke your back. Yes. So I was 19 and was in a car accident. So um, I don't know. Life was going pretty well before then. Had never broken a bone, had never really got into anything serious. And then um, was in a car that spun out of control going down the Adelaide freeway. and Like at speed. Yeah, it was speeding, yeah. Yeah. So um, the person who was driving just got a little bit carried away when someone passed them Mm. and didn't like being passed because his car was very important to him and turns out more important than 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 a human life, I guess, and uh, raced down and I yelled at him to stop and I asked him to stop and I begged him to stop and finally I was just like, okay, just, you know, don't kill me and about well he didn't no he didn't so that was really nice of him he he was thinking of you yeah yeah. (laughs) and then about he did listen yeah about five seconds later spun out of control and hit a concrete post at about 60k an hour almost split the car in half 
because I've seen the photo. I think you posted it up. Um, it, it's quite horrific. And I've been to a number with my new career now. I attend a lot of crashes daily, probably up to eight crashes in the Brisbane CDD, CBD. Um, and that was pretty full on. Yeah, I mean, it was a, it was lucky his car was what it was because back mm. in those days, cars, engines weren't on rollers and his actually happened to have rollers that sent the engine underneath the car when yep. in a head-on collision, but not a lot of cars were designed like that back then. So He's still done you a favour. How was he? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Such a oh, just <laughs> champion. <laughs> Great guy. Where is he now? Boyfriend of the year. Yeah. <laughs> and then... Uh, yeah, and so I was very lucky. The The whole sort of front part of the car did come in on our legs, but um, everyone was very surprised that he walked away and that we hadn't been killed. It's normally the case, <clears throat> and not to get into like the whole traffic accidents and stuff like that, but the, you see it so often, and from my limited experiences as well, is that the driver generally doesn't get hurt mm. and the passengers do get hurt to the point of death, you know, or fatalities, and it's... It's a weird thing, and I, I don't know whether that's God being a smartass or, or what, but in your case, you knew your back was broken. Yeah, so I'd been reading a Reader's Digest article about a week beforehand, a um, little nerd that I was back then. and was, <laughs> You're just a bigger nerd. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I'd read an article on car accidents, and so it had discussed head injuries. So as my head flew towards the dash of the car, I put my um, forearm up on my head and... Mm -hmm prevented my head from getting smashed open on the dash and um, but then it had also discussed back injuries and I heard a crack yeah, um, wow. and I sort of felt that it came from that lower region of my back so I was I was very clear in the accident like everyone was flustered and running around and screaming and yelling at me to get out of the car and all I just you know apart from protecting myself from a head injury I was yep. just like you don't move people with yeah, back injuries exactly, yeah. and I just kept wiggling my toes and I'm I was like, well, I can move my toes, I can feel my toes, it's I can move that. my toes. Yeah, so yeah. Um, I just thought it was better to be safe and sorry and just waited for the ambulance to come. And, and then you're in safe hands it. from mm. there, yeah. And then the whole <clears throat> recovery and, and the life, um, I guess that would be life-changing because that just sort of flicked a switch yeah. in you and, and I'm not going to, and we've spoken about this a number yeah. of times on, you know, I'm not going to have this happen to me. I'm just going to roll and, and try and make a, the better part of my life. Yeah, so the prognosis was not good. The doctor actually said to me that I would never be physically active again for the rest of my life. Yeah. So at 19, I'm lying there and suddenly somebody's just put this whole caveat on the rest of my life and, you know, right, that's it for you. Um, no more physical activities. Like, what do you play sport? And I said, I play tennis. He said, no, tennis again. Not going to happen, yeah. And he said, you know, you won't be able to carry a baby to full term. And, you know, I've never played tennis and I haven't had a baby, but none of that has to do with, uh, with his diagnosis. Um, but it was, you know, a really somber time. And I just remember lying there thinking that's not going to be me, even no. from that moment. And you did, you changed your life. You turned it. Yeah. You made something extraordinary out of it, a shitty situation and turned mm. it right around and used it as a springboard, I guess, into, you know, your career in, in the stunt industry and, and, and who you are, you know, being on online, on TV, on shows. It's really, mm. well, it was a, you think it was a silver lining? Oh, it was the best thing that ever could have happened. Wow. Well, you okay. know, I was, I was... You should thank that guy. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I thanked him when he yeah. left. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um... But yeah, I mean, it was the best thing that could have ever happened to me. I was 
in a Bachelor of Business Management because my parents were sort of wanted me to head down that path and I probably would have become a marketing manager of a hotel, which wouldn't have been a bad life. But, you know, the, the things that we've spoken about, about living every single day to its max, I think that got really slammed home in that moment, yeah. that how fragile life is. Oh, it's, it's extremely fragile. And as we've said, I think it was yesterday we were talking, you'd be snatched mm -hmm. from your grasp. Everything can turn upside down not even for your choosing like you can we have all these plans in our life like oh, i'm going to follow this i'm going to do that and, and achieve this goal and short-term goals and long-term goals but something like that just goes yeah i'm going to be murphy and, mm -hmm. and i'm going to do what i want to do mm -hmm. and you've just got to either run with that let that affect you or, or, or you know build on that and you've built on that well so it's definitely what you do with it you know mm. you can't control the hand you're dealt a lot of the time but you can control your attitude to it and you control your response to it. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, even now when really shitty stuff happens to me, I'm still like, great, well, how can I, how can I turn this around to my advantage? You, you weren't thinking that yesterday? <laughs> with the, with the walk. <laughs> <laughs> with their, so we went on a, on a walk yesterday trying to track down some red deer and yeah, we didn't track any down. We seen a bit of sign, didn't we? Yeah. A great area. Yeah, it's beautiful. And we, ha we were on a red hot tip on that's where deer will be but we just we didn't see any so but we and had, it wasn't because we were talking so much no, <laughs> which we did talk a bit but it was very whispered yeah yeah so if anyone wanted to have a look we it's on instagram anyway so i'm sure either my page or kai's page you'll see a bit of shenanigans that we got up to um i won't let the cat out of the bag they can the, the <laughs> listeners can go and tender fungus yeah. <laughs> we found some i oh, know i learned something actually like we were stalking through this area and I said to Kyle, let's change direction, we'll go to another spot because the wind had sort of changed and we went down and walked down this awesome sort of track, didn't we? And, and mm. like the, the bush was just amazing, beautiful that time of morning and we we're seeing different bird life and you pointed out that first bit of, was that the same fungus? Yeah, think? yeah. And it was too high up on a, yeah. it was deadfall and this would have been noisy as shit to get. And then as we walked down that trail, still hunting as, as such, um, you found more of it and you go, I need to get that. So yeah. you went and picked this big bit of fungus, the size of like a small cabbage, I guess, wasn't it? Yeah, and Alice is looking at me kind of strange. I was like, you need to put this in my pack. Yeah, I'm like, okay, <laughs> this is unusual, but we'll put it in Kai's pack. And yeah, so we put it in there, and then we stopped and had a bit of like a bite to eat, cup of coffee and a banana and whatever. And then you, you, you just lit, and I was amazed on one spark yeah from what was the instrument you used the ferro rod yeah yeah um nearly named after you that could be yeah 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 uh once the soon as a smaller spark hit that it was just rolling straight yeah. and started smoking and, and i hadn't seen that before you know i've seen heaps of fungus but not lit like that and i wouldn't have even thought to use that as, yeah and i guess that's probably my ignorance as such to the survival side of things not that i'm a, a slouch in that area but i just had not seen that Especially yeah, firsthand. It's definitely like there's a whole lot of different shelf funguses that you can find, and uh, some of them light really well. Most of them, if they're dry, they they light well because you know the problem in a survival situation is quite often you can make a coal or a spark, but mm -hmm. you can't necessarily get a flame. Yeah. So that um, you need some sort of material, and people think it's just as easy as like throwing a spark into a bunch of leaves, and it really isn't. Well, the kids tried that last night, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah. yeah we had the kids 
trying to well, they they were both successful, didn't they? Yeah, they both got a flame out yeah. of out of it eventually, but we had to change up the tinder a lot, and that's what it is. It's experimenting with the tinder that is going to hold that spark and create a coal that you can then make a flame out of yeah. by adding other stuff. I was to. I was amazed. I was from a deer hunt that went into like a bit of a survival lesson. I was I was, I was a bit chuffed about that. <laughs> but we had a yeah, we had an unsuccessful deer walk, and then when we spoke to me mate on the way out, he's like, oh yeah, I just seen deer at this part. I was like, ah. Oh, That'd be all right. So we're just in the wrong area, which is hunting, you know, yeah. as you know. But again, to to keep the listeners on on track on who you are. So you broke your back and you went through that, and then you spent was it fifteen years in the stunt yeah, industry? Sixteen years. So there you go. Mm. And then again, we spoke about it yesterday. You left the industry with an injury, and you're not how you wanted to leave. But then you just moved on from that, and. Yeah, so 16 years in the stunt industry and uh, it was a huge goal, it was a huge dream. It definitely felt at times like it was an impossible goal and dream. Like, I'm just a little kid from the mid-north of South Australia, you know, I'm just yep. wandering around America going, I want to be a stunt woman, like I had no clue. No. And some of the sets and movies you worked on, like my kids are, like I'm still picking their jaws up now, like, oh, we've got this famous person in the house. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm very the, fortunate. <laughs> you're the most famous person ever. You can stay over. <laughs> the kids loved it, you know, and then they, you know, because both obviously my kids are under 16 and they've seen, you know, all the movies and, and whatnot. And then when you're talking to them, and I've missed some of these conversations because I've been at work, but you can just see the change in their, like, their looks on their faces. Like, oh, yeah, that guy's pretty cool, you know. Yeah, so it's, it's quite, it's, it's pretty cute. It's handy. I've got in the Marvel universe, so it's yeah, just handy yeah. to be able to throw like the Thor and Avengers, X Men around, you yeah, know, yeah. in slight conversation. But um, the highlight, the highlight for me was I ended up winning like the Oscars of stunts. Yeah, I know. And that moment on stage—that's you know, a big I'd, pat on the back. Oh well, I just wished I could find that doctor. Yeah. And just shake him a little bit, you know, so, and just be like, stop telling people what they can and can't do because you know, ninety-five percent will believe it. Yeah. You yeah. know, and and look. At what I what I've managed and where I came with the diagnosis you gave me, and I'm so glad I didn't believe it. Just 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 through hard work and not mm. not accepting the norm and not not accepting that. Here's your script, Kai, for the next however long you're going to live. You need to follow that because that's what I've said. And I'm you know, and yes, he's a learned man and mm-hmm. went to university and all the rest of it, but. Doctors sometimes aren't always right. Well, we're all different. You yep. know, every single body's different in how it relates to injury and how it recovers from injury and what diet and exercise you mm. do. And I'm always just saying, listen to yourself. Yeah, and I think we've, we may have spoken about this before, probably have, but <laughs> you then now follow your own fitness, like what works for you, yeah. you know, whether yoga, mm-hmm. um, you do a lot of body weight stuff, you said. Yeah. When you were doing the stunt, uh, training and, and, and films and whatnot, you would have had to have, dare I say it, like train a lot physically and mentally, mm-hmm. you know, to be strong in those roles because you're saying like you'd finished a day with bruises and black eyes and yeah, it was tricky. boyfriends that get looked at funny by the public. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, no one likes a woman with a black eye. <laughs> like, I, honestly, I just headbutted my own knee yeah, <laughs> really on the way did. down a flight of stairs, but <laughs> your boyfriend didn't do it. Yeah, I got paid. Um, yeah, so I mean, for me, the biggest thing that happened in the stunt industry was women got skinny, you know. And that so, was hard. For oh, you. that yeah. is hard. Being a female, you need um, you need muscle keeping everything together. So yep. being an active female, you need to be strong so that you don't break. Mm-hmm. And to really cut down the muscle and the weight and everything, like these actresses were on coffee and cigarette diets. Yeah. 
And if I got thrown against a wall on that diet, I'm just breaking. Breaking half. Yeah. yeah. So it had to be this really fine line between, um, you know, trying being to double. Flexible. Yeah. yeah. And then double for that particular actress that you're doubling for in the movie. So the viewers of the movie go, that's Kai. Yeah. That's not the actress. <laughs> if you watch Kill Bill, there's that scene at the end where she's in the yellow jumpsuit. Yeah, bless and her. Uma Thurman's like skinny as a rake and her stunt double's a normal size. Yep. But if you watch it, that jumpsuit goes loose, tight, loose, tight, loose, tight. Uh, yeah, and okay. it's like that's when you know when the stunt double's in. And I watched that scene, I'm like, I'm never, never been that person, you know. Yeah. But it, I've gone up to actresses and they've said, look, Kai, I really want you to double me. And I'm like, you're going to have to eat some donuts, love. You know, like you're, you're a yeah. size zero. Yeah. And I can't healthily be a size zero. No. So, um, and especially it, being like strong and trying to be resilient, you know, from break falls or, or yeah. that. Yeah. You, no. don't, you don't need to, as you said, you don't need to break. Yeah, and if you're not eating healthily, your tissues and tendons and muscles and stuff aren't holding Just, together properly you're either. You're not going to heal or no, recover. You don't heal, you don't mm. recover, you don't. You, you just break easily. So um, there's definitely times I've said to the actresses, I just can't double you, you know, no. like I'm not going to make a good double. Um, and then thank goodness they're sort of moving away from that a little bit. There's still a lot of pressure on actresses to be to very look, skinny. Yeah. Um, but I, I just had to find my right mindset with that too, because a lot of stunt women end up with eating disorders. Um, the just, pressure and, yeah. and the expectations of media, print and media. Work. Yeah, work. You know, yeah. like your work depends on you looking a certain size. Like I was a rock climbing instructor when I got in, so I was jacked. Like yep. my back was full muscle, and you stand next to the actress, and the actress is like, oh, uh, no thanks. <laughs> not how I look from behind. Is there someone else? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it was, was a lot of pressure. And then doing all that, and then like, <clears throat> did you have to look after your, your spine, your back, in, in what you did and didn't do for fitness-wise? No. Like, I climbed yep. initially to get better, okay. and then my back was solid. You know right. what I mean? As long as I'm doing some yoga and some back exercises, but I've never had an issue in, okay, really? in all my years of stance with my back. Oh, okay, that's surprising. I would have thought you'd have to maybe... And I suppose you, doing that line of work, you can't go in half-hearted. You have to go in fully committed into... Yeah. So you can't go in and go, like that niggling back sensation of, oh, geez, my, I've got a back injury. Yeah. That can't be in your mind. You can't think about any of that stuff. Like, um, people sort of say to me sometimes, you know, you must be fearless. I'm like, no, the fear comes. Because, like, I'm standing there and I'm telling my body to fall backwards off a building. Mm, like, mm. we have that in a fight or flight yeah. Um, we have the survival instinct in us to protect ourselves. Yeah. And I'm telling my my body to do something that my mind is telling me I'm going to die doing. Yeah, well. Even though I can see the airbag down there or whatever It's still it is. a big thing to, mm. you know, and you're not a cat. You're not going to lean no. on your feet. <laughs> no. So, and you know, like there's a million things that could go wrong from the time I lean backwards over the building, yeah. you know, so. Fall wrong balance wrong or whatever. Yeah, yeah not like that I'm a stunt guy, the as The airbag you can break. The, yeah, yeah. You know, like if, if it's a quite a high fall, you know, if you push yourself out as you go down, you could miss the airbag completely. So yep, there's just, yep. there's a lot of little things that you're concentrating on and, and fear comes up. And I always try and think that movie like Inside Out where all the fears were those oh, human yeah, yeah, yeah. things. And that's what, what all the emotions were human things. Yep. I'm like, that fears like that for me. Like, I'm like, okay, I see you there. I hear you. I understand why you're there. It's going to work with you. But you need to leave now yeah. because you're not helping me at all. And so that's that niggling doubt. There's When I step off that ledge, it's 100%. And it's not thinking about possible injury. Mm. It's not thinking about possible outcome other than the visualization of it 
being a perfect outcome for me. That's, um, the, that's mental toughness. That is, that's hard one. That's experienced yeah. mental toughness. Like you, people often ask, <clears throat> because of my military background and I have a, a, a set mental toughness and I know what mental toughness is mm. and what you're touching on. Um, and you see a lot of young people just don't have that because it comes with experience. Yeah. And, ca and you build that character by being in shitty situations, mm. whether it be breaking your back, working in you know, arduous conditions, you know, 12 hour days, 15 hour days or whatever you did yeah. as in a stunt performer. And then that just ebbs and ebbs and flows into a better character. Like you're a better person because you know, oh, I've done that hard thing last time and you know, I'm, I'm a better sailor now through rough seas. Definitely. As opposed to, oh, I'll just keep it easy. And yeah. you, you sort of don't, your, your body and your mind and your personality or your character doesn't evolve into a stronger person if you're mm. never gonna get into a stronger or a shitty situation that you need to get out of, which yeah, you've probably done a number of times. But <laughs> as we've seen last night, so to let everyone know, we watched as, like your first episode of Naked and Afraid. Yes. Uh, on a, on a TV here at home on YouTube. That was a hell of a thing. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know what Naked and Afraid yeah. is, because there are a lot of people, and you don't in the see world. a lot. There's like <laughs> Kai is naked, but she's not naked in front of us. So no, I haven't seen Kai naked. <laughs> it's very pixelated. Yeah. <laughs> Big fluffy bikini. Um, what happened was about five years ago, Discovery came to me and they said they had a new concept. And has um, it only been going that long? Sorry. Yeah, five years. Okay. Right. Um, and they have had asked me to do survival shows before because um, I had sort of a name for myself as being someone who could live off the land. Okay. And um, they said, just stay with me. It's called Naked and Afraid. And I said, I'm sorry, I'm not doing not that. Do it, yeah. Not happening. I'll be the same. Yeah. <laughs> Especially <laughs> in winter. Yeah. <laughs> Summertime, I'm good. Winter time. <laughs> yeah. They always put you somewhere warm. You yeah, know? yeah, I'll be right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and they said, just listen to the concept. And basically, it's 21 days. You get put in a location that you don't know um, with a partner you don't know and each of you can take one survival item. And obviously due to the name it's also naked and people think that's a huge titillation thing but at the end of the day they really underestimate what um, protection just a single layer of clothing could offer. Mm. Um, mentally you, and physically. Mentally and physically and yeah. yeah if you held up a pair of shoes or a pair of knickers I'm going to choose the shoes. You know like your feet are your biggest asset when you're out there. Um, I'm always saying to people even if you know it's a normal survival situation protect your feet like don't jump from rock to rock as soon as you've done an ankle your survival chances yep. decrease hugely so it's um that's the concept and nobody had done it before so six couples went out to different locations and we were the social experiment they really just put us there the camera crew don't help you no mm. one helps you and and I was watching the episodes come out and people were in um, like Costa Rica and these beautiful sandy beaches and I think someone was you, in the snake? Maldives and then I was like, this is great, I'm going to go to somewhere beautiful. Somewhere nice, they're going to have me in Madagascar and I'm going to be working on my team, <laughs> maybe kill a, a, a small animal I here. know, and then they were like, Sakai, we're sending you to Louisiana and I'm like, I hate you guys. Like, So 21 days in the swamp. Um, we got flooded out on night four and had no dry land for nine days. And yep. to this day, um, producers say that was one of the worst locations they've ever put anybody. And, and yeah, we watched it last night. Yeah. And I'll, yeah, that whole water, like your knee deep, ankle deep water, how many percentage time was? Oh, uh, like if, 
like 98 Forever. percent yeah. of it you know like and and those snakes like i mean and i'm like we're australian and snakes are like yeah whatever and because of an american show and they're all talking about these snakes and i'm I forget, I was in the kitchen doing something. I'm like, oh, yeah, there's probably one snake, you know. Yeah. And you're like, no, there's, like, snakes everywhere. And they were, so what were they, a cotton mouth? Yeah, so they, um, yeah, cotton mouth. Um, and they are quite venomous and they have, like, a... Um, and then you said they're aggressive, too. And they're very aggressive. So with our snakes in Australia, you get lucky if you see them, I feel like, because it's very, very rare. They hear you coming and they go. Mm. Whereas these um, are a viper and they're just like, no, mm. we don't... Care. You can like, go around me. Yeah, and yeah. so if you don't, like, and they'll strike if you get within striking distance too. So um, we had to be very aware of every single step for 21 days. And there was a lot focused. of them. You killed a lot of them, and, but you did eat them. Yeah, we were eating them. Mm. So um, the cool thing, like we ate quite a few different snakes, well, quite a few, maybe 10, but the venomous ones were actually more delicious than the non-venomous. So Let's talk me through, like I know you told Mitchell, my son, last <clears> night <throat> about the venomous head and, yeah. and what you did, like you had to bury it or put, keep it away because... This is a really good point for a lot of people in Australia too because it, people don't understand that once the snake's killed, it's not nullified. The venom isn't nullified. It stays in the teeth. There's little hollows in the teeth mm -hmm. and the venom just sits there and it can take months, sometimes years for that venom to actually like evaporate or whatever it does. Yeah. And so if any time in that length of time you step on that those teeth or sit on them or get them in your skin, that venom can still be injected into your skin. So by accidentally yeah, standing yeah. on it or, or touching it or scraping against your hand or, or whatever. Yeah. yeah, so it's not like, oh, I've killed the snake and it's all good. Once the head's chopped off. The venom's still to, there. Yeah. It's still alive. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. we'll do for a very long time. So you have to bury the heads, make sure they're out of the way so nobody can step on them or yep. like yep. dogs don't bite them or whatever to eat them. S right, and we spoke about your offsider on the show, Billy, and his... I picked up on it straight away, but he, and it, those who haven't seen the show, so he grabs this snake and he goes, oh, it's not a poisonous one, and he dives right on it, and I think it was the first one. Yeah, like, it was day the one, first, first snake, snake. Day one. And he, what, well, you tell everyone what so he said. So I, I didn't know Billy, and, and so we're on this little patch of land, and he goes Such chasing. Such a name for a guy. <laughs> Billy. <laughs> and he goes chasing after this snake, and, and I'm like, whoa, 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 and he's grabbing it with his bare hands, and it turns around and bites him. And now I'm in this situation with someone who now has a snake bite. And I said to him, well, you know, he said, oh, my brother's a snake handler. It's okay. I know, you know, like non-venomous snakes have elliptical eyes. Oh, no, have circular eyes mm. and venomous snakes have elliptical eyes. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, like sounds I, legit. Sounds yeah. all right. You, mm. You're saying that with confidence. Um, and yeah. I've since found out that's not, not true. Not at all. So um, there are a lot of venomous snakes with circular eyes and non-venomous with elliptical. So at yeah, it's a bit of a myth, wives' tale that one. Yeah, yeah. So we kind of got very lucky that what he grabbed and got bit by wasn't venomous. But, yeah. You know, again, in a survival situation, it's risk versus reward. You know, yep. if you can't safely kill that snake, don't kill it. Yeah. It's going to bite you. So. And then. And in, what people don't realise is like you, your energy levels are waning the mm -hmm. whole time. And then say on you, you're in a survival situation, you might be 10 days out in the Australian desert or, or you know, the outback or whatever, and you go and you think, oh, there's a snake, I'm going to go and kill it. Yeah. Your, your mind might be sharp yeah. and thinking that you're on day one energy levels, but day 10 energy levels aren't the same. So yeah. you're going to be, reactions are slower and then... Like even our snakes, you go tussle with them and they get their blood up and they're just going to go, oh, I'm going to bite the shit out of you. Yeah. You're not going to move just as quick. And then 
like you said, risk versus reward. You're going to go and try and kill something to eat it. Mm. You're slower in your reaction times and you get tagged by some of our snakes or no matter where you are, yeah. snake bite isn't good. No, and the thing is there's not a lot of meat on snakes, you know, unless mm. you're getting some of those big pythons. At the end of the day, I mean, we <clears> had <throat> to kill the water moccasins or the, the cotton mouths because there was no other food choices. Yep. So yep. Um, that, you know, that's what it comes down to. It's like, well, what's the risk you're going to take in order to be able to move forward? Yeah. Um, and yeah, you just you just wouldn't for the amount of food if you were tackling some of the snakes in Australia. Yeah. And you make a really good point too, because people always say, you know, that rule of threes, you've got three minutes without oxygen. We read know, that last night. Yeah, on, three yeah. days without water. I mean, you know, in the Australian desert, you have a day, it, if that, without water and you could be in big yeah. trouble. And I saw this really popular four-wheel drive YouTube show like not that long ago and guy was in the desert and he said you know you can last up to five days without water and i just got shocked because he had a, he had like millions of followers and he's just given them a bum steer yeah, yeah. but people could sit back and go well we don't have to worry about getting water for five days so we're going to be good and that's environmental it's you know a, yeah, as we spoke about but you know it's an if you're in a desert situation, if it's winter or summer or whatever, that's going to change between what's, you know, the conditions you're in. Or if you're in a rainforest, well, yeah, the, you can go ages without water because it's going to rain that evening or, or right. whatever. Um, but if you're in the desert and you dry it out and it's, you know, mm -hmm. you're just not going to get it. Um, and the brain goes quickly. Yeah. So, yes, you can last three days without water, but by about day, you know, one and a half, you're not making good decisions. And the same with food. So then the next one is three weeks without food, you know. But again, you know, these people that are fuzzy by mid-morning tea going, oh, I just need a bit of food. It's not going to But you know, by day seven without food, you're not making good decisions. No. And you definitely don't have the reflexes to be tackling no. something like a venomous snake. Not at all. So yeah, you want to hear my snake story? Yes. So when I was in Africa the first time, <clears throat> I was doing a bit of stalking. I was planning to do a stalking with one of the black trackers. And I said to the PH as we're driving out to the area, I said, ah, Dolph, if I run into a snake and I get bit, worst case scenario, what happens, mate? What are we doing? What's your plan? In the, in the thickest South African accent, he goes, Alan, what you need to do is find the biggest, shadiest tree for me. I was like, okay, what is that, mate? He goes, because corpses look fucking terrible in the sun. <laughs> I was like, okay, right on. I'm going to die. He goes, yes, you are going to die. Uh, don't get bit was the, the rule of thumb. So, yeah, we're snaking. That's funny. Did you know that, like, a lot of the indigenous people survive by finding big shady trees with our snakes? Oh, there you go. Yeah, because, like... So it's not a myth. No, <laughs> it's not. Like, a lot of the... Um, like, so, in America and a lot of other snakes around the world, when the, you get envenomated, you get it into the bloodstream. Yeah. But with Australian snakes, they have different shaped fangs, so they only envenomate the lymphatic system, mm -hmm. which is why they tell you not to move when you get bit by the snake. But if what the indigenous used to do is um, they would lie in the shade yeah. and for days and that venom would finally work its way out of your system. So, I mean, you're either going to die, die. or but people survived it. So yeah. that's one thing I think of quite often when I'm out in the bush in Australia alone. I'm like, okay, well, I've just got to lie still for two or three days and hope that I'm one of the people that it works its way out of the system. Yeah, not all of us carry any venine or um, an e to 
to get a, a bird in to pick us up. But yeah, no. That's, yeah, it was quite funny. But And <clears throat> another snake bite story was the second time I was in Africa, this guy, one of the guides, had a massive big, it looked like a burn on his arm. Ooh, yeah. And he was bitten by a cobra. Oh, and he survived, wow. he survived it, but it ate away all the muscle on his forearm. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm sure he told us that his mother made him drink petrol, maybe a wives' tale. Right. Yeah. And um, Viewers, don't try that don't at home. Don't try that at home, no. <laughs> definitely not. Um, <clears throat> but I'm sure they, they told me, he told me that he made, his parents made him drink petrol. Um, That's fascinating. So I don't know what they'd done. He obviously survived it, but he had like his arm looked like it'd been melted where right. the cobra bit him. As he he walked out of like the hut where he lived in, and it must have been in the thatch, mm. and it struck him and bit him in the arm. Yeah. Well, because some snakes' venom, like the cottonmouth in Louisiana, is a necrotic venom, so it actually breaks down the flesh well. um, and kills it and rots it and breaks down to make it more easily digestible. Um, and just before going in on to my Naked and Afraid, one of the producers of Naked and Afraid got bit by the Ferdinand's snake in South America, mm. um, in the Amazon ironically, and um, his, the top of his foot rotted off. Holy and so, shit, did it yeah, go back? No, so they took a chunk of his thigh and like just Grafted it. Grafted a chunk of his thigh onto his foot. So now he's got like missing thigh, this hairy hobbit fat foot because yeah. his thigh, thigh muscles on it <laughs> and it grows hair on it and everything. He's got one <laughs> hobbit foot, yeah. I guess he's alive. <laughs> Jesus. Snakes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's in, where that happened again? Sorry. That was in the Amazon. Where, yeah. Okay. Right. Awesome. Yeah. Um, well, we won't try that at home. No. Drinking petrol or getting your thigh, your thigh. put on your foot. No. <laughs> Crazy. Snakes. So you can eat them. Like, oh, do you want to know my coolest snake story? Mm. So we were eating these cottonmouths mm. and it was reptile mating season. So that meant the alligators and the snakes were a little bit more cranky. Edgy, yeah. Yeah. But it also meant they had a lot more musk in their ducks. Like, you know, like yep. goats and other animals you hunt, deer. Yep. Um, so at this time of year, um, so we chopped up the snake and boiled it into soup and it looked a little oily on the surface of the soup and I was starving so I started to eat it and I couldn't get through much of it, it tasted so foul. And I thought, um, so that was one snake we had to just throw away because we couldn't gag it down. Yep. And then from that moment on I could smell where the snakes were. So I don't know, I'd ingested enough of this pheromone that, you just knew that, that yeah, we'd be sitting on the bed platform and I'd be like, there's a cotton mouth over there and sure enough, it'd like swim towards us. But <clears throat> in those environs, and have you noticed when you're so much removed from Western society and you're in the bush for a long period of time, all your senses start to evolve back? Definitely. Yeah, I, I noticed myself like mm -hmm. in, in on military patrols, whatever, long time in the bush, you, your smell just goes through the roof, your eyesight, your hearing, hearing yeah. just improves. And I guess, I wouldn't say improves, but it more, you're just more in, in tune with the environs that you're in. Yeah. And there you go, you're a, you're a snake smeller. <laughs> I think it's probably faded now, but yeah, that was yeah, definitely yeah. handy for the time. <laughs> exactly. And I know we've spoken about like your diet. Mm -hmm. Did that kickstart like you sort of being keen on this whole carnivore diet scenario that you're rolling with now, or is it that sort of was 
The first one, no. The first one, I you were was just vegetarian. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, vegetarian because doctors told doctors again told me that um, I had this hemochromatosis, which is a genetic disorder which takes too much iron out of food. Mm -hmm. So I have a choice. I can eat a little bit of meat, but I would have to donate blood once or twice a week if I did that because it's heaps, just it's no, no one's got time for that. Right. No one's got time for that. I was vegetarian for twenty years, and I just started getting sicker and sicker and sicker. And when I was out on the first Naked and Afraid, I was fine and all we ate was meat because there was no edible vegetation there mm -hmm. and you don't want to take risks on stuff you don't know with vegetation. So if you can kill it, if it moves, you kill it and you can eat it once it's well cooked. Yeah, right. So, um, ex except for maybe the poison dart frogs in, in yeah, the Amazon, I won't, try, I won't try that if I ever go there. <laughs> But the, um, you know, you, so I just ate mainly meat and I felt amazing when I was out there, like day 17, 18, 19, I felt amazing, but went back, went back onto the vegetarian diet, had all sorts of issues like hormonal issues, recovering from it, muscle yeah. issues, tendon issues. Like it took me probably a year to recover from that first naked and afraid um, just because I was on a vegetarian diet. And, and then, just wasn't, your body wasn't recovering from it, yeah. No. So no proteins and vitamins no. and minerals, and yeah. So about a year and a half ago, I saw an article where someone recovered from hemochromatosis using carnivore diet. And I was like, well, I'm getting sicker and sicker and this isn't working. I'm not feeling healthy. So I went from like in one day, yeah. I was like vegetarian the next day, I ate three steaks. And um, the body felt amazing. You just felt it like recharge. Oh, it was incredible. And so I did that for six months, um, just sort of meats, animal fats, a little bit of paleo, like nuts and berries every now and then, but mainly just meat yeah. and red meat, like not even white meat. Um, yeah. And then I went to the doctors and got tested and this genetic disorder of hemochromatosis, which is meant to be with you forever, they cannot find a trace of it in my system. How's that? Just by eating meat? Just by eating meat. And my iron levels that were through the roof on a vegetarian diet mm. are normal. Wow. Um, and because I, because red meat has zinc in it, which regulates the iron levels. So all of these issues and problems that were, became exasperated by the vegetarian diet are now solved by it. And, Just eating yeah. solid meat, yeah. Yeah, I've never it, been fitter, never been stronger. My muscle recovery is incredible. I just recently ruptured my calf muscle in Nepal. Mm -hmm. It was a class two slash, I don't know, two or one or something like it was close to being the most severe where they would have to have operated to salt back on. They were like, you'll be on crutches for six weeks. I was off them within four days and then recovered like... They said, you know, you'll be walking without crutches around the six-week mark, and I was running. And wow. I know that's, I know that's just the diet. Diet, yeah, and because that's that's in your system. That's like your energy and your your reserves to heal things. And it's, I think Josh, we spoke about the other day. I was telling you that Josh Bomar, who was on the Kafaru cast, mm -hmm. he is solely on, like, he, yeah, a carnival diet. Mm -hmm. And this guy looks like a machine and he just lives on, he, he says he can't do it as, as such now, but just because of his lifestyle and his workload. Uh, but when he was on it, he had blood tests before and after done and the doctors were just amazed and all he ate was just meat all mm -hmm. the time because mm -hmm. he was getting the nutrients from his meat and didn't eat vegetables or anything, which you no. sort of shake your head at going, mm, it's not 
really cool, but it, it worked and it was such a... See, this is the mythology that we've been fed, though, like from media literally and, fed, yeah. is that you can't get must what you need from... Must eat cornflakes. Right, must eat cornflakes. Yeah. The, the Kellogg's actually invented the food pyramid, so they to wanted... Sell yeah, yeah, to sell breakfast cereals. So at the end of the day, we've been fed a lot of misinformation and this carnivore process is just newly being researched, but they're finding it's curing all sorts of incurable diseases and giving clarity to people with um, dementia, it's uh, people with eczema that they've had their whole life, skin conditions are clearing up, mm -hmm. like, um, a lot of chronic fatigue sufferers are finding... this is a more pure diet, like it's a what, and yeah. <clears throat> there's probably people out there that are going to shake their head at it, but when we lived in caves 10,000 years ago, mm -hmm. that's how man ate. Right. So it wasn't, it was not a hard thing to concept, like it's not yeah. a hard grasping idea that they go we did eat a lot of meat right and i and i and no, no cornflakes right no cornflakes <laughs> <laughs> and i understand it's a hard concept for people and as i always say like everybody's different do yep. each to your own be healthy don't judge anyone else for what they choose to eat to be healthy but at the end of the day like for me personally it works it works and you've seen it work over and over and over again and i just had a new series of blood tests done yep. and everything's like, I mean, I'll sit there and eat animal fats through the roof and everyone's like, oh, your cholesterol. I'm like, my cholesterol is spot on. Yep. Like yep. everything is spot on. And you on. get that from your blood tests. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, and anyone wanting to do that, they should like look into doing before and after blood tests and go on a, a three month trial or, you know, 30 day trial or whatever, get blood tests done before and after mm -hmm. and your blood tests will sh definitely improve. And I've done it myself just mm -hmm. on the paleo diet years ago got blood tests done before and after, and the doctor's like, wow, you're extremely healthy for whatever age I was, 40 or something. Mm -hmm. He goes, what have you done since the paleo diet? Oh, sorry, since the first blood test. I said, well, I went on this paleo diet, read this book by Rob Wolf, blah, 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 and you can sort of see the doctor roll his eyes, and, he's, and I said, well, the proof is yeah. <laughs> blood test, mate, you know? I, that's what I keep saying to people. I'm like, well, come for a jog or come for a hike, you know? Yeah. Like, I mean, I've, I can just, like, off the off the couch a 25k hike in the mount like in the hills and not feel sore the next yeah, day so yep. for me the proof is in my body and how it's responding exactly. to it how and everyone it is different as we've said yeah and what works for you might not work for someone else mm. generally speaking because it's hard like you said you can't right. judge people for what they want to eat mm -hmm. or anything like that i know myself in fitness wise and in how i feel in eating like a paleo a strict not super strict but a 80 percent paleo 20 percent. oh sorry yeah 80% paleo most of the time or whatever mm. they say. Um, but I, in myself, in recovery and training and fitness and in life, I just feel a whole lot better. I feel yeah. sharper. And then it's, it's a, a, yeah. And then to get... Try it. To get blood tests done and see it in the blood test and knowing like, oh, I'm going to kick this into the park because mm -hmm. the blood tests then reaffirm what, you've, what you've, your body feels. Mm -hmm. uh, you recover better and now I'm, I'm like 44 mm. and You're I don't, 25. I know, or tell people <laughs> I dye my hair grey just for the shits and giggles. Silver fox. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I, 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 I just, I don't recover like I'm 20. Mm. You know, like I do a, a big, you know, workout session or backpack somewhere or whatever. I, I feel it the next day mm. more because I'm of my age. That's just where I am. Yeah. But if I can better that with through diet, mm -hmm. it's a whole lot, you know, you are going to recover better. If you've got a shitty diet and that old saying, you cannot out-train a bad diet. Mm. So if you, whatever, if you, it's like your car, you put 
shitty fuel in your car, mm. if your car's a petrol car and you put diesel in it, it's not going to go very well. Yeah. We're the same. Like, you put f shit fuel in our body, it's not going to work the best. Put good fuel in it, you're going to get a good outcome. That's Athletes around the world will, will just, A, roll their eyes if they hear that because yeah. they, they know that. Mm. But a lot of people don't know that. And you just go, you, no matter how many times you go to the gym or how many kilometres you run, if your diet is poor, yeah. you, you won't get any of the or most of the benefits out of that. Well, the big thing for me is like 16 years in stunts, you know, I went from, oh, the back's the only bone I've broken to, yeah, no, I've broken a lot since then, like yeah, torn yeah. a lot, strained a lot, dislocated concussions, a lot. Concussions, you were saying, oh, crazy. Yeah, massive concussions. And doctors can't believe how healthy my body is. I don't get arthritis. Like everyone mm. sort of, oh, you'll get arthritis, you'll get this in that joint, you'll feel that joint. And I don't feel any of it. And your knees? What did you tell me about your knees? Oh, yeah, so I've... I just, um, having ruptured this calf muscle, they did my knee scans of the MRIs and mm. the doctors are like, how are those knees? I was like, fine, why? They're like, you've got no cartilage left in either of your knees. Like, so. Because I eat a lot of meat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, really? Like, they were talking knee replacements and stuff. Yeah. I said, but I don't feel it. Yeah. Like, and I'm not, it's not that I'm immune to pain. Like, my knees are fantastic. And I really do feel like that had a lot to do with my diet. Which, I think it's exactly it. Yeah. So, which I guess brings us to the hunting thing. Because then I was like, well, if I'm going to eat meat, I want to hunt, hunt it. Hunt it, yeah. You know, I want the purest form of meat. I want to be... I want to be supplying myself with that. So I guess that was when the year and a half ago, I was like, well, if I'm going to hunt, how am I going to hunt? And yeah. And to, just to, you know, roll into that hunting side of the conversation, uh, and I know you're not the type of female, and like, I'm not saying this is a good or bad thing, but you're not the type of person, I should say, that is all squishy. Like, and I, you've, you've spoken me through it, like, oh, I don't know whether I could kill that. And then all of a sudden now it's like, Oh, I don't know whether I could kill a goat, and then you kill goats, and then then you say, oh, I don't know whether I could kill a deer, but now you're like frothing at the bit to kill your first deer. Yeah. Um, but that's a hell of a thing from going from vegetarian mm. to so, like opposite end of the scale, and then yeah. to get into the hunting environs, and then to hunt with a recurve mm. that you wanted to do because you just felt that was a better instrument for you, yeah. your personality. Yeah. Um, and that's a hell of a, a, a journey. Yeah, I really didn't know if I was going to be able to do it because I am the type of person that rescues the spiders from the house and <laughs> steps over ants and I love nature, you know, I feel very, very connected to animals and yep. um, my heart breaks when I walk into a zoo, you know, I mean, I'm very empathetic to animals and what's going on. So yep. I wondered how it would feel and I'm not the type of person to like half kills something and then be like you do the rest you know like I mean if I'm you're gonna go in full journey yeah, yeah if I'm doing this I'm doing it and if I fish I'm gonna kill the fish you mm. know I'm, I'm I'm gonna bait my hook I'm gonna catch it I'm gonna kill it yeah. and then I'm gonna prepare it for dinner because I feel like that's honoring the whole process that, that's the journey that you know is, is hunting and that's the from start to finish and successful mm -hmm. or not successful that is the the end end goal really is yeah. to put food on the table yeah so um i guess i was like i'm just gonna kill rabbits because i don't eat much um and <laughs> they're you know, vegans yeah <laughs> and, that, and that was that was all right like i killed a couple of rabbits with a rifle at that stage because yep. um 
I was learning how to make leather out of the skin. So okay. I wanted to learn with rabbits. I'd learnt with fish leather actually, and then stepped up to rabbits. And then um, I realized I ate way more than just a rabbit yeah, and yeah. Um, thought that goats, you know, my, my whole philosophy is I'd like to help with the feral animal population if I'm going to be eating meat. Mm -hmm. um, Goat seemed a good way to go. So um, Jack Spinks, who makes strings and is an awesome all-round bloke, he offered to hunt my first goat with yep. me. Um, but before I did that, I picked up the trad bow for a year. Yeah, okay. Like every day that I could shoot, I shot. Yeah, nice. Because um, it's... And then why, answer me, or for the listeners, yeah, yeah. you've told me, why the stick bow? Why a recurve? I picked it up. Not, why, did not, why not a compound? Just That just suited your persona, like who yeah. you were? Yeah, so in, with my fighting background, I do a lot of weapons. Yeah. Um, so a lot of swords and I don't, I can't explain. Like when I went into stunts, I didn't have a fighting background. I picked up weapons for the first time and it felt right. Okay. Like, and I picked it up really quickly. Mm -hmm. And so any weapons just feel amazing in my hand. So I naturally went to the most simplest of the weapons for hunting that I could find. Eureka, yeah. Yeah, and I picked it up and I started shooting with it. And every time I get my mind to think about the compound bow, it doesn't work for me. Like it's just too many bits and pieces and cogs and things that could go wrong and um, cogs. Co doesn't it have cogs in it? <laughs> <laughs> doesn't it? All the guys, like it has the, cogs. All, all, the all the compound bow hunters will be thinking, what the? It's not a cog. <laughs> Tell her it's not a cog. Okay, it's not a cog. Yeah. It's something. There's, there's bits <laughs> and pieces. Be, yeah, I'm going to get emails out the wazoo now. Tell that woman it's not a cog. <laughs> yeah. And, and for me, it was the challenge. Like, yeah. I really love the challenge of going like, well, once I've managed to kill an animal with this bow, it yeah. will be and just Which you have hard. done. You've yeah. you shot how many goats now? Um, six goats. Yeah. Um, and use all the meat. And yeah. Like, tell, me that little, tell us, the listeners, a story where you were out. At Stone know. Cottage? Yeah. That's some great, like the, the actual photos and that's amazing where you were. Yeah. So tell us, tell us that story. So I decided, um, I have this thing where I work really hard for a lot of things and then I um, do it with guys because it's guys are doing the things that I love and then everyone on Instagram is like, no, oh, you're so lucky you got that guy to do that stuff with you. <laughs> like, he showed you how to do it. He showed you how to do it. I'm like, God, like, mm. no, I was the one that showed him how to do it. <laughs> so, like yesterday, yeah. Right. But, you know, I learned a lot from you in return and I do learn things from people, yeah. but I just really wanted to prove to myself that I could do everything from start to finish. And so I wanted to go goat hunting and I thought I could. I'd shot until I thought I could do it ethically. Um, and my cousin has a property in the mid-north of South Australia and he had a ruin of a stone cottage on there. Um, so it's like way out in the sticks. Yeah. yeah, it's in the middle of nowhere and even his property is like a good drive from that little bit of Very stone remote, cottage. Yeah. yeah. So they put a tin roof on the stone cottage and it had like some cracked glass and it was like two foot full of kangaroo poo and pigeon poo and I went and cleaned it out and I lived in there for three weeks and I by yourself by myself no men around no men around just show you how to live all the footage was tripod people I just, I just heard all these feminists around the world now beating their chest at this <laughs> <laughs> well it, it wasn't even that kind of an issue it was more me yeah like but I know I know a lot of guys that wouldn't even do that themselves mm. a lot of hunters or people just that'd be just too much for them whether they can get there for work reasons, family reasons, yeah. whatever. So I'm a little bit envious that you had 
the time and where you were because I've seen the photos. It's an amazing spot. Yeah, so, and then I just, I knew the goats were there and I didn't take any food in or anything and I had to, I had to get goat to yep. survive out there. So um, the first day I just watched and listened and saw where the goats were going. Like there was very few watering holes there. So I knew they had to hit them up. It was super hot. It was like 35 plus every day. Yep. Um, and I just staked out the watering holes in the morning and um, by the second morning I'd shot my first goat solo. Nice. And nice. Just ambushed them coming in and yeah. outsmarted them doing their thing. Yeah, yeah. and it was a medium-sized billy um, mm -hmm. and I realised very soon that it was really, um, I'm, like I'm not a tiny build but I'm not a big build and yeah. to muscle around the goat like I had to process it all right where it fell because I yeah. couldn't move it anywhere. It was pretty big and I... Um, kept the skull and I got all the organs and I got all the meat I could get off it and got the skin off it um, and made leather out of the skin for the next three days um, processed the skulls like bleached it out so I had a um, my version of I guess a trophy you know to remember yeah. that moment by and then I ate the goat slowly over like well yeah, it's all I ate for three days. And then I got another one because that meat ran out and yep. just spent, like I ended up getting four goats in total up there over the three weeks and just lived on the goat meat and hunting and learnt a lot and, you know, really used peaceful. the whole animal. and Yeah. Yeah, and I was wondering if I could do it myself, you know, like oh. I've never, not really been in a situation where I've been out overnight by myself in the middle of nowhere and I've never felt anything so right. Yeah. You know, and that's the way I feel about killing my first animal too, you know, like everyone was like, well, the goat might scream and this and that. And it is this great respect for the animal and what's just happened. And, but I've never felt anything so right. Yeah, of course. Like yeah. you're on oh, the food, the meat, like when you're eating it, it just it's like it's just a completely different experience. Because you know that animal, you know the hardships of, you know, the mm. hunting side of things and getting in close and doing a good shot and then seeing it die mm. and then processing it. Some of that, and it's it's a feeling it's hard to put into words, I find. Mm. You know, and doing it myself with a recurve um, and, and eating meat here with the family and, and whatever, like if I smoke it or prep it somehow. Mm. Um, and even like eating the heart and, and things like that, which a lot of deer hunters don't do. And I, right. I say to them, trust me, you eat a heart, it mm -hmm. is the, probably one of the best cuts on an animal. It gets yeah. left in the bush a lot of times. Yeah. And I've heard similar th things being said about actual deer tongue. Processed correctly, it is mm. quite nice. Right. It just doesn't look the best. Yeah. Um, See, I didn't get to the tongue. I did the heart and I did the um, liver and I did the kidneys. Um, I got the intestines out yep. and made cordage out of it. Yeah, yeah, and cool. I, I, and then the brain, apart from the first one, I used it to tan the hide as yeah, well. Yeah, that's amazing. And like being out for three weeks, and again, like those, anyone wants to look it up, like if they scroll through your past Instagram mm -hmm. feeds, I'll see the photos from it. And it, is it your actual profile photo from that hunt? I yeah. do believe, yeah. It's, you can just tell by the like the background and it's... Yeah, it's it's an amazing looking place, and I I was a bit envious because I looked at that and went, oh, well, I kind of like to would have done that. <laughs> yeah, it just was a no dream. one being around, and then like yeah. you, your own boss, and I'm going to go hunting here or hunting there or making a fire at night time and just out amongst the stars. And I mean, when yeah. you're out in that like that sort of remote area, the stars are like 
huge. Well, I had the stone cottage, but I never slept in it. Like I had a swag and I would, I mean, there was a couple of big dust storms going through, but if there weren't dust storms, I was outside. Yeah. And I would, every night I would just war with this, like, I want to look at the stars, but I'm so tired. Yeah. <laughs> like I just, like sometimes I'd be asleep before the sun would set. Someone turn the TV on. <laughs> yeah, I, I can, that, that to me is an adventure. Mm. And I, that sort of strikes a, a chord in my personality where I'd like to do that. And I've done similar things, not to the extent of three weeks. Um, but a lot, there's a lot of people can't spend three weeks by themselves mm-hmm. uh, for a number of reasons. Like I said, work, family, their own personalities. Yeah. Uh, the crutch that they... Well, I can't be that long because I've got to get emails off or I've got to mm. do this or I've got to do that. But it's... And I wondered about that with myself, you know, like, because I've always been a little bit of a loner in that I recharge in the outdoors. Mm. Um, mm. And if I have too much around people a lot, like, yep. and considering my whole career has been around people all the time, I definitely start to get a little antsy. But... Um, the very final post from Stone Cottage, I had to reshoot like four times while I was crying because I was leaving. I'm leaving. I was, yeah. I was like, so I wasn't even at the end of it going like, yes, I get to go back to this or that or have, like I didn't have a shower. Yeah. You know, like the Stone Cottage had no electricity. Um, it's just basically an old ruin yeah. from what I've seen. Yeah, 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 so I had solar panels that I took in to charge phone to take yep. the footage. and Which would have been plenty of sunlight that time of yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. And... You know, that was it. I had my little ukulele out there. I was learning songs. I was just like, uh, yeah. So at the end of it, it was actually a bigger struggle to reconnect with whether I like to go back to society. Then mm. I, d- I didn't race back. Like I, there was a drought there, so I could only get a certain amount of water too. So my shower, like my bath each day was two cupfuls of water. I just with, with a bit of a bandana and I'm trying yep. to have a bit of a sponge bath. But I d- Sparrow's bath. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, sure, me and the goats started to smell fairly similar after that, but I don't think anyone worried. Yeah, <laughs> no, you weren't you weren't there to, to uh, win any friends. So, exactly, I yeah. smelt fine to me. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm cool <laughs> with myself. Which, <clears throat> when we went for a walk the other day uh, to check my game camera, which was stolen, <laughs> which is another story. Yes. If you're listening to this and you find a game camera and it's not yours, don't fucking touch it. It's not yours. So rude. Anyway, which is another story. I'll get off my, my <laughs> soapbox now. But um, so we went to where the game camera was. And I was telling you, like, there's a guy there that lives up in the bush on the end of this road. He's a bit of a hermit. And, yeah, I, I'm a little bit jealous because you've seen his house. Yeah. It's like this little cute cottage, ran all the way around. I don't think he's even got any doors on the place. No, it didn't look like any doors. And both you and I were like, can we move in? Yeah, and it's funny, just different people's perceptions of, you know, what having made it or what makes them happy. Yeah, and, and he was so happy. And then mm. we were talking to him a little bit when we left and whatnot, and he just seemed pretty genuinely, Right. I'm just here doing my thing, I don't go out much. And and he wasn't like busting to talk to us, no, so he wasn't he was just like chatting super away, lonely. Like, or... Yeah, he wasn't trying to push us away, but he wasn't very inviting, if that makes no. sense. He was, he was more... I think he was annoyed that the camera got stolen because I told him yeah. previously, because I went up and a little bit of backstory on it, I went up to this area where I, I, I know there's deer hanging around because we've seen sign. Mm-hmm. I left a camera there and I just asked him and he, he said, yeah, that's fine, you can, you can leave the camera there. And he was sort of like a bit 
because he's an older guy and I think he was sort of thinking, how does that work, you know? Yeah. And I just said, oh, they're just motion cameras and they'll just stay there and I'll just come back and get in a couple of weeks. Anyway, a couple of weeks probably turned into a month or two and as we were walking through there, I was telling you, like, there's a lot of motorbike tracks here. Mm. And sure enough, the camera's gone, so someone's obviously um, light-fingered it. And then he was more annoyed and I guess that's his personality where... Yeah. He, someone's stolen that of yours you know and he's living by himself up like a hermit as such yeah and yeah that he sort of he was very offended by that i think he was also excited to find out whether there were deer there you yeah because yeah. this is his sort of backyard too and so. he had seen deer a couple of times and as i was t telling you like some people if they're not looking for deer deer could be right there and they won't see it mm. um and uh, well we've seen how close that rub tree was behind his house yeah and like where his little hut was it was quite luscious grass, yeah. so, and I know deer would be coming in and feeding on that. Definitely. Because um, the rest of the area is just sort of bushy scrubland. But, yeah, it was. <clears throat> that's an area where I think, yeah, I could live there. That yeah. Would, that would suit me. Um, but, yeah, then I wouldn't be on the podcast and they're listening. Well, you might be able to get internet there still. Yeah, yeah, yeah true. <laughs> the, uh, the, the, and that yeah. was kind of the thing, though. Like, I could walk up this hill at the back of the stone cottage, and if I stood sort of on my tippy toes, I could get a bit of internet. So I was sending out, like, Instagram stories, mm -hmm. and the amount of people that got attached to that moment in time, it really resonated with people. Like, Because yeah. um, it's, it's, an, it's a, an, an adventure, yeah. a wild adventure. And I got like a ton more followers. And even at the hunting expo the other day that I was yep. at, like people would walk around and see me at my stall and they'd be like, oh my God, we started following you at Stone Cottage. Like I lost the time. I think like, I've seen, I've started following you then too. <laughs> right? Yeah. Because I've seen this, one of your photos was you on your sleeping bag with a stick bow. Yeah. Eureka. I'm like, no, sorry, on your swag. I'm like, yeah. hang on a minute, that, that's a good photo. Yeah. Because it attracted me straight away. And then I started looking through your other photos, I'm like, oh, this is interesting, so of course I'll follow you. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and come full circle, here we are. But yeah, that's that's interesting how people sort of noted you for that and then clicked. Yeah, that it was, and, and like that they fell in love with Stone Cottage too. So mm. it was definitely something that resonated in the hearts of a lot of people being able to have that moment. Um, and people we, living vicariously through right. your world. I'm more than happy. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just keep going, shall I? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and it, I was thinking, because right at the beginning we were talking about moments that define you. Mm -hmm. And they're probably Louisiana. Yeah. Um, like, anytime something's hard in life, I can look back and have this benchmark of something that was so incredibly hard that nothing's matched that since. Yeah, right. So to be able to go, you know what, it's cold, but God, I was freezing in Louisiana and I survived, you know. And for me, Stone Cottage was another one of those. Okay. Um, Learn a lot about yourself and yeah, yeah, hunting and, and just. And it probably seeded in you as a person, like getting a couple of animals on the ground and using the animals and eating them and, and being in that environment yourself. Mm. It would have really sort of been the springboard for you then going, oh, I love this hunting. This is what I want to do. Yeah. This, this sort of defines me more. And you're getting more sort of down the rabbit hole of, of being a hunter. Yeah, for sure. And then that's what that's what then makes it bigger because you know i mean for me the goats just walked to the water hole and i shot them yep. and so then i'm like well that you know like deer is sort of next level for mm -hmm. me and i also know now i can eat a whole goat in three days so i know like i'm excited to get some extra meat and make some jerky and make the pemmican we were talking yeah, about like yeah. the old style traveling protein bar thing and you know so i'm i'm excited about having a store of meat that yep. i then don't have to 
but I can freeze some. And now the idea of getting a deer isn't it's so impossible. Yeah. But yeah. it's just a way bigger challenge. Extremely, especially with a recurve. Yeah. You know, any deer, as we've spoken about, any deer with a bow is a, is a trophy. Uh, some guys are really good at it and then shot a number of deer and they mm -hmm. just they just know when they can and can't, you know, what they can and can't get away with. And same with hunting with a, with, with a recurve or a longbow, you know, or a self-bow, you know, like your little recurve as well. Mm. You'll just get so much experience being around deer and, and you'll just go, oh, yeah, yep, I know I can draw now. Mm. Or no, and you'll learn from each hunt. Like yeah. each time you get in close, and you, and you get an arrow on the string, you think, I think I can nearly get a shot. Yeah. And the deer's head will shoot up and go, No, you're not doing that today. Yeah. So was, see, that was one of the most beautiful learning moments for me. Is like everyone talks about the wind changing, and I'm like, You I mean I know that? I know mm. that. I know you have to be um, where you know it's not going to blow your scent to them and everything. And and I had this little fallow, and it was about thirty meters out, and I'm not going to take a shot with my bow at Bit far, thirty. Yeah to make a good kill and I was and it wandered into 25 and I was like just getting ready to get ready and this I felt like the little tickle at the back of my neck because we were in you know the hills so it was swirly a bit and just yeah. like got this little tickle at the back of my neck and that fellow's like <gasps> gone so, yeah. and I was like that is so cool mm, like yeah. like what a learning experience and it's <clears throat> and when you when you're doing that and, and you you just learn so much like you yeah. said it was such a learning experience and next time you'll go as soon as you feel that, you, you're waiting for that reaction and the wind might be a crosswind and you go, oh, I've got to worry about that. Yeah. And then that might roll into the next time where you know roughly where the deer are and you start to work out their body language and their mm -hmm. movements and you go, if I get here, yeah, that deer's going to walk into here because he just has that that look about he's going to walk there. And yeah. then sure enough, yeah, zot him with an arrow and, yeah. you know, the rest is history. But it's and I, a, I love learning about my passions, you know, so to be in this place where there's going to be forever so much to learn, which is why I love survival, you know, yeah. like people think they've got survival nailed. I'm like, have you been in every single survival case scenario you could ever possibly be in in every location? Then no, you haven't got it nailed yet, you know. Yeah. And there's, from what I know of survival, there's like different environments, obviously different areas you need to focus on, whether it be cold, snow, mm. you know, European sort of survival or there's African survival. Mm -hmm. South American survival, uh, Australian survival, you know, different areas, techniques keep you alive in those areas, you know. So. And really at the end of the day, it's concepts and attitudes that is going to keep you alive, you know. Mm. So you can read the whole SAS handbook on survival and know everything what they say to do in that scenario and I guarantee you'll still die if stuff doesn't work out for yeah. you. Yeah, so that's why it's called survival. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so it's about being adaptable and flexible. And, and you've got a couple that's of... That's it. Uh, you've got one book out, yeah, and you've got another. You said to me, "Can we say anything?" Uh, yeah, I'm just looking at getting a publisher for my second, second one. Yeah. yeah, wow, that's that's interesting because I I flicked through it at the expo. Ah, right, okay. So, what you, can you let the cat out of the bag? What your second one's about? Well, the first one's about survival attitudes to help you through everyday life, and the second one's just about stunt attitudes to help you through everyday life. So, um, you know, people said. To me that there wasn't anything transferable from the outdoors to stunts and okay. the thing that was transferable is when I'm in the outdoors and stuff happens I mean because I was a guide yeah so if something happened I had to look after me second mm -hmm. you're always just focused on on the client everybody else yeah, yeah. and getting out of that situation there's stuff that you couldn't do anything about and to me once I'd committed to a stunt that was exactly that 
you know, I would do that stunt until the director says he's happy with it and ready to move on. Mm. So um, my second book's tentatively called The Girl Who Gets Back Up because that's not a bad yeah, title. Yeah, You know, like the, the thing that I was best at, I wasn't the most amazing fighter and I definitely wasn't a gymnast. And, you know, I wasn't flippy. Um, Is I wasn't, that a term? You put that on you. On you. I'm very flippy. I'm not flippy. I'm not flippy. Yeah, they do that. Like, are you flippy? Like, nah. no, I'm, I'm bouncy. I'm not, but not yeah, flippy. <laughs> exactly. I'm not a tricker. But the thing that I could guarantee is, even broken, I would get back up yep, yep. and continue until the job was done. That's a good life trait, though. Mm. That's a good life characteristic to be. Yeah. You know, as you've alluded to before, like you broke your back, mm. and to come all like. For someone to break her back, to fast forward to living in a stone cottage in the middle of the Adelaide semi-desert region. Yeah. Well, not Adelaide, South but South Australia. Australia. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, stunning and then being on shows and all the rest of it. That's just a characteristic of, of self-worth and, and strength. Yeah, and I feel that's the common thread that goes through my life is getting back up again. And I'll say, like I quite often do talks with kids and I'll say, mm. you know, I've never found anything where I've been knocked down and cannot get back up again. Yeah. I yeah. cannot put one more foot in front of the other. And I feel like that way when I'm out hiking, when I'm out mm. hunting, you know, like I've never sat down and not been able to get back up. Might have sat down for like a couple of hours and I might have been like scratching my head as how do I got here yeah, again. Yeah, but yeah. like even when I tore my hamstring off, I fought for 14 hours, not with it off, like, but with it hanging partly off the first time I tore it. Um, I, the stunt day had just begun and I had 14 more hours of fighting to do yeah. and they weren't going to be able to find anyone to replace me. So, you had so to do it. I did it all on one leg. Yeah. Um, and if I, like I got knocked to the ground as part of the choreography and the coordinator had to pick me back up again to keep fighting, but I kept going. Yeah. So, you know, like my biggest message to everyone always is like, you underestimate yourself. Yeah. Like yeah. everyone will underestimate you, but so will you. And it's, <clears throat> there's a similar, not story, but there's, well, it is a story, I guess. There's a, a, I forget who the Navy SEAL was. It's on the tip of my tongue and that's probably bad podcasting. Laws. No, but we've gone all over the place. We have, we have. Yeah. But so there's a, there was a, a rich American guy and he wanted to get fit again and mm -hmm. he found this Navy SEAL guy and, and let him, I think he actually moved in with him and wow. he said, oh, I want you to be my personal trainer. And he, mm. of course, this Navy SEAL guy was like, yeah, okay, okay, let's start tomorrow. So we started on the day. Mm. He's like, how many chin-ups can you do? <laughs> oh, I think I can do 10. Mm. He goes, excellent, we're going to do 100 today. Yeah. And he made him do a hundred chin-ups one at a time or like he got, I think he got the 10 out and he goes, okay, 90 to go. And just, because it was mind over matter. He believed yeah. he could do 10. Yeah. And the Navy SEALs like, yeah, but we're going to do a hundred. Yeah. And that's, again, a lot of military background training do that just mm -hmm. for a lot of reasons um, to obviously build mental toughness as we spoke mm -hmm. about before. But the general public to, to, to a percentage, don't know how tough they really are. Right. Until you've, A, been pushed through it or you push yourself through it or someone drags you by the collar through it. Right. No one's going to make you do that because we're, we're soft by nature. We yeah. all want to take the easiest path. We want to take the nicest seat. Well, not for you. Not for you. <laughs> you like to sit on the hard ground all the time. But, um, I mean, it's not like I prefer it, but yeah, it's good yeah. training. Good training, yeah. But it's not until someone drags you there or you drag yourself there or a situation drags you there mm -hmm. that you're not going to better yourself as a, like, 
as a as a person mm. and, and, and get throwing that. So that's a pretty good title for your book, though. Like, yeah. Get down, get back up. I'm still thinking a title for. Actually, I've got a title for my book, but I just. What's yours? I can't say. Okay. No, no, I can't. <laughs> it's called Fletching's Deep. Ah. And you've read some of it. Yeah. But yeah, when when I actually finish writing it. Yeah. It'll be yeah a whole lot of short stories on those sort of. Like the article, not the article, but the short story you read. And I just have to say, he can actually write because I'm, the I'm cat a sat on fussy the reader. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, think Dr. Zeus with yeah, a bit yeah. of a Stephen King twist. No. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm looking forward to the rest of the book coming. Yeah, out. I've got a few on the back burner, a few half written, mm-hmm. and then it's the whole case of putting it all together, finding a publicist, and for someone to believe in that mm. book may sell. Mm. You know, outside of like the hunting community, because it's not really hunter-focused, right. as you've read. Yeah. Uh, it's a bit of historical slash fictional slash truth mm. to each short story. Um, but it's a book of short stories. So, mm. yeah, Fletching's Deep is, is the name of nice. that, if I can give it a plug. But yeah. um, that might be finished this year, might be finished next year. Right. I'm no G.R.R. Martin. I'm, <laughs> what, who takes 25 years to finish it? Yeah, <laughs> I'm not that long. But, yeah. yeah. Um, but that's, that's an interesting... Like with your book and you got maybe two books out and we spoke about another book but we won't touch on that subject. Yeah, no. Because um, that's a bit of a... But the next we project. We, yeah, yeah, we can't even talk about the next project. So no. The listeners are probably thinking, what the, what are these guys talking about? Yeah, but some big things on the go. I want to raise a conversation that we had before mm. in regards to that documentary that you asked if I'd seen in about Africa. Yes. So you asked me if have I seen the documentary Trophy, which mm-hmm. I've heard about through a podcast but I haven't actually seen it yeah so um for listeners when our first the first conversation I had with Alan was um a very long one um it's awesome when you find things that you know people that are passionate about what you're passionate about but the final thing I asked him was if you'd ever been to Africa hunting because um you know for me walking through this this field of hunting for the first time I mean, I was very like, well, I'm not ever going to shoot that. You mm. know, I might shoot a rabbit, but I'm not ever going to shoot a goat. And now, now I realize there's no, like, never say never to anything because yeah. your mind broadens and you get different ideas about things and you just become more educated about knowledgeable, yeah. whatever's going on. Um, and so I had been offered to go and do a hunt in Africa and I wanted to find out what it was about. Um, and step forward, I come to his house and he's <laughs> definitely, a lot of Africa definitely a fan of Africa and it was awesome. I learned a lot from our chat. But yeah, I, I watched this doco called Trophy and I don't know if anyone out there's seen it, but it was a very confusing documentary to me because it felt like they didn't really know what they were trying to achieve in a documentary. Like quite often when it's an activist documentary, you get to the end of it and you're like, wow, they are so anti-meat, you know forks over knives or whatever yeah, whatever yeah. it is or knives I don't know what it is um but you know you you get the message and the thing with trophy was I didn't understand what message because I felt like it was going to be an anti-hunting movie yet at the end of it I didn't feel that way about hunting and that's what I heard like they were they wanted to have an anti-hunting anti-trophy hunting should I say documentary and when they got into it and started filming because they were vegans or or vegetarians or something to that Mm. effect don't quote me on it but that's what I've I've heard through another podcast but they actually once they informed themselves through self-information and and 
formed a different belief, they realized that it wasn't that bad. Like mm-hmm. hunting isn't that bad, done ethically and correctly and yeah. all the rest of it. And then we spoke about, and they actually, that's where they sort of had a mixed review on the, like the end yeah. when they summed up this, po- this uh, not podcast, this um, doco. doco called Trophy. They didn't really have an ending that they wanted. No, and you really felt that out of it. I mean, you definitely felt there were people who were maybe hunting for all the wrong reasons. Which, yeah, which Which we know are there. Yeah. yeah. Um, But at the end of the day, they really couldn't say that hunting was a bad thing. So it was worth watching. Yeah, I'm yet to watch it, but I'm going to track it down. Uh, Because there's bad examples of trophy hunting. Like, I know, for instance, you can go to New Zealand... And you can have you can shoot a red deer out of the pen there, and they've already scored it. They already know what it is. They're already going mm. to give you a medal size on. It's a gold medal stag, and it's this many points. And Americans mm. or Canadians or rich um, Europeans will fly out, and they'll release it into a certain area, and they'll shoot it, and they'll stand. But and you just look at it, and you go, "That's not even a normal red stag." Like, yeah, and that's what really pisses a lot of people off even mm-hmm. hunters off even genuine ethical rifle hunters or bow hunters or whatever they look at that and go that's not what i do that's mm. not what you do mm-hmm. uh, you know hunting with your recurve or m- me with my recurve and that pisses us off so imagine yeah. what the people like the general public that don't are on the fence about hunting when they see that they go i don't like that that's shit that's ugly yeah well like i went to um uh, went alligator hunting recently and um someone offered me to go gator hunting I'm like can I take my bow and they're like sure we can mm. take your bow and I ended up shooting an alligator and they were really surprised because I escorted that gator back to the facility and I skinned it out yep, yep. and I kept the head and I insisted on getting the meat off yep. it you know it's like there's ways of of being able to hunt even with people that don't maybe have the same ethics yep. but to still maintain your ethics your ex, around yeah. it as well and and I got a pig that same trip and I did the same thing. Like it was with a bunch of very strong southern men that yeah, were like, yeah. you know, we're we're girl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Get that bull girl over here, you know, and they were sort of like, like ben, just... did they have the red bandanas out of the back of their pockets? I'm pretty sure they did. <laughs> and, um, with their overalls? Yeah, with their overalls <laughs> and they were just like just leave that pig there girl and I was like well no I'm gonna take that pig help me get in the back of the truck you know yeah, and yeah. and I and then they were insisting they were gonna gut it and I said no I like let me do it you yeah. know and and I'd never gutted a pig before but it was like that's the way I want to move through yeah. this thing and I think when you like to the average person that doesn't know anything about hunting or is not exposed to that when you explain that that whole process to them and the animal's got every way to get away and mm-hmm. I, you know I hunted it Fair, fair game and I took it and I, you know it was always going to die I just changed the time and the date yes so and when you, you, you explain that to people and I ate the meat and I used the skin and you know um, I got the skull and I keep it there and yeah when, when, when you explain it to pe- most people I should say that that are on the fence about hunting they go oh yeah fair enough that's a good thing right when you explain to them the scenario of you know really rich oil baron from America goes and shoots the big five three or four times over because mm. he likes big guns and, you know, measures his dick by that. Yeah. That just browns people off immensely. Yeah. You know, and you just think, well, that's, you're shooting yourself in the foot, pardon the pun, but as hunters and ethically wise as well. So you yeah. never win that argument. You no. will never win that argument about anti-hunters or, or two anti-hunters. or You'll never change that. I was fascinated at Stone Cottage because... 
you know, most of my Instagram followers were um, stunt fans, you know, so I knew I was going to offend a majority of that um, audience. And I was a bit nervous, but I thought I was just going to go full hog, you know, like, so yep. I literally was taking videos of me, like, with the intestines of the goat, like, or in the liver or something going like, just pull it fully pulled yep. it out of the goat, blood on my face. You know, there was a moment there I just had like poop on me and blood on me. And like I was smacking the skull over to get the brain out. I had an eyeball on my, like, it was just like this whole, nice. I, was nice. like, yeah. I was like, who am I in this moment? But I was showing it all, you know, yeah. and, and a lot of hunters were saying to me, oh, you're going to get this big backlash now. And I had, I opened up my Instagram and I had a couple of like animal activist mm. people and vegans writing to me. And I was like, oh, oh here we go. Here we and go. they all said, thank you. Okay. Like, this is the way we would want animals to be harvested. And this is the way we want meat to be harvested. And yep. you showing the whole process is actually really educational for people out there. It is, and it is. Yeah. yeah. So like... I did not get one person in that three weeks yeah, actually nice. actually say, what are you doing? And you thought the backlash would be different, though, yeah. yeah? Yeah, but I still put it out there because, yeah. you know, you can't live your life by others' views. No, and it's, that's what you enjoyed. And you, as we spoke about, you learned so much. And mm. it was a great defining moment in your life mm -hmm. to be three weeks alone in that environment. And then, you know, who is anyone else to judge by that? And that's the way it should be. Yep. But uh, we all know you know, that that's not the way life does go, especially no. on those social media platforms. Yeah, which again is, is a, a big part of life. We've had many conversations about social media over the last couple of days. and mm. But that's where people can find you on Instagram. Yes. Yeah, you've got mm -hmm. a bit of a following on there. And you sort of, you, it's varied mixed because you'll, you'll be one minute, you're sort of doing a bit of survival training for up and coming things. And then, uh, then you're doing a bit of bow hunting and then you're talking about your bike and so yeah. it's quite varied. I, I enjoy it. Well, I like showing people that, you know, you can't be pigeonholed, mm. you know, and coming, being a female and, um, like I'm not big or butch and I'm just living my life the way yeah. I want to live it. And that includes all facets of it. You know, I'm, a very strong independent person as we say like three weeks in stone cottage on my own but you know if someone wants to carry my bags they're more than welcome more so than I welcome. Like, yeah. that old school gentleman <laughs> yeah. thing nothing wrong with that i like being incredibly feminine on the flip side of it so which you know, i've noticed because you've like some of your photos you have on there as well but then you you do a lot of um what's the word i'm looking for not inspirational talks. Motivational speaking. Motivational speaking. Mm. So just touch on that, like you're doing with like girls schools and yeah, corporate so events as well. That's sort of my main job at the moment is the motivational speaking and I sort of look at the whole no limits thing and um, how to deal with adversity. I've had a lot of people telling me no in my life, you mm. know, and a lot of people putting their limits on me. So it's just that how... Prove them idiots wrong. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> how do you move through life, you know, with your own integrity and not letting not letting yourself get sucked in yeah. by the people who don't believe in you. So um, I'll go into banks that are having big restructuring and do okay. big talks on how to deal with change and adversity. And then I'll talk to juvenile offenders or, you know, especially young kids about um, how they can move through life believing in themselves a little bit more and having courage to face their fears. So mm. a, lot of, a lot of different things, but usually just sort of pulled from my stunt and survival experience. Yeah, that's... I'd like to listen to some of them one day. I wonder if I could sneak into some of your 
one of your talks. <laughs> I know a lot of military guys are doing that now. A lot of like guys that have a lot of experience overseas on operations and whatnot, forming little two and three man groups, going into the corporate world to mm -hmm. speak to them, you know, on just the things that they've done and same the adversity and, and not taking no for an answer because not everyone can be in the military. Not everyone can do what you do. Right. Uh, so. <clears throat> pardon me and we've spoken about before on sometimes you get a negative comment out of that yeah but as i said if someone comes out of one of your talks yeah with one thing yeah or like three percent mm. if they're a three percent better person in their life because they listen to an hour talk with, of you and your adversities and your background and challenges then who the hell is anyone else on this earth to deny that person their, that moving forward, that, that growth that you've given them just through a talk, mm. just through talking to someone. And I look for one person to mm. impact. You know, like at the end of the day, to me, that's a success. You know, I can talk to 400 people in a room and if one person comes up to me afterwards and said, you changed my life, it's worth it. Yeah. yeah. You know, and um, especially with the kids, you know, I'm always available on my social media for people to reach out. Yeah. Um, people have done a million things for me to get to where I am now and I can never repay them. So yeah. my social media is always open to people who are asking for help and asking for support and asking for guidance. Which is good because a lot of social media personalities, I'm sorry to brand you with that. <laughs> but, <laughs> it's an honour. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of social media people won't open up or won't answer back because mm. they're afraid of the backlash and then they're probably afraid of 400 questions about the same thing. Yeah. Um, but I think a lot of people that do answer back like yourself, uh, mm -hmm. and there's a, a couple of others that do it as well, just makes them look more human. Well, And you're helping people. So To, to me, like you've made an effort. Like, you know... People comment on my posts and I try and comment back because you made an effort. Yeah. Like whatever I put up today, you felt like it was worth moving to make a comment. Of course, the least I can do is honour that. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and I definitely feel the same about the stories and questions. And like, I love it when hunters are saying to me, oh, you know, like, are you, I'm trying to use this skin. Like, what do I do with it? And I awesome. just like, to me, that's success in life yeah. you know is like interacting with like-minded individuals who are all just trying to be a little bit better tomorrow than they were today and there's nothing wrong with that and it's just paying it forward like mm. at some point in time all the people that helped you in 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 your life mm -hmm. then you're trying to then knock that forward onto helping someone else that does doesn't know something yeah so and it, i learned that yesterday with the fungus on the tree so yeah. <laughs> that's for the last five days rent yeah <laughs> You just kept sleeping on the floor. I'm like, Kai, get off the floor. There's a bed there. <laughs> Got to be tougher. Yeah, and you're gnawing on some deer antler. But it's, it's not going to... There's no, there's no uh, nutrient value in that. There's, there's so much we could go with that too because like when you were saying about how we get so comfortable in our society today, you know, like there's this big movement now to being okay with being uncomfortable. Yes, and... Exactly. Mm, and it's a, it's a very hard thing. So like when I am sitting on the ground, I'm, I am like purposely trying to remember that uncomfortableness because if you get overwhelmed by being uncomfortable it's and you soft. suddenly get thrown into a situation where you are uncomfortable, then your mind is thinking about things it doesn't need to be thinking yeah. about. You know, yeah. so even on day hunts or, you know, like if the whole time you're out hunting you're like oh it's a bit cold or like oh my god i don't want to sit on the ground or it's a bit wet or like if you're worried about the things that are making it a little bit uncomfortable it doesn't let you focus on the things that are really important yes so yeah. you know 
I, I try and keep myself just a little bit uncomfortable. A little bit on edge. Yeah. yeah. I've I, noticed that the last couple of days. It's all good. I do like my pink fluffy dressing gown when I'm home, though. Yeah. No, I wear one myself. Yeah, I've noticed. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Don't let the cat out of the bag. Rob Herbert will, will he'll attest to that. Yeah, yeah, Al does wear pink fluffy slippers. <laughs> All right, Kai, well, we've probably held the viewers up, viewers, listeners up enough, so we'll, we'll wrap it up. Mm-hmm. But it's been great chatting to you, mate. I yeah. really appreciate it. And it's been good having you here at our home and, and talking and obviously doing the podcast in Al's garage or my yeah. workshop. Definitely needs a sign. It does need a sign, yeah. Lasers and ninjas and shit or something. Like <laughs> and thank you for being so generous with your time and knowledge. You know, like as, as we've spoken about before, it's very hard to find... Um, people that are sort of welcoming and open and no, you, you and fine. your community that you sort of um, hang around with your tribe have been people, yeah. very generous with me and, and how I'm able to learn and the knowledge and, you know, I just have to pay more stuff forward now. <laughs> yeah, you will. You have to get a knife making. I have to talk to you, to Rob Ooh. about knife making. He's the, he's the knife guru of the, the famous five, the I'm guru. I'm excited. Yeah, no, he's, 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 the, he's the champ. And I'm sure Rob will he'll be listening to this, but I'm sure that um, yeah, he'll, he'll be more than helpful with talking knives and steel and sharpening. And, and he lives by where my gear is kept. Okay. Doesn't he live in Melbourne? Uh, oh, East Melbourne. Or okay. way. Yeah. Melbourne. Song. Victoria. Victoria, yeah. Cool. Gippsland area, I think he lives. Oh, okay. Is nice. the area. So, yeah. nice part of the world. Just freaking cold. Okay. <laughs> All right, Kai. Thanks very much for coming on. Thank you. We'll be chatting to you later. Yep. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Hunting Camp Down Under podcast. If you would like any information from today's show, please don't hesitate to contact us on huntingcampdownunder at gmail.com or simply hit us up on any of our social media outlets on Instagram or Facebook. Be sure to join us next week for another awesome episode and we look forward to sharing another story from Hunting Camp Down Under. Bye for now.